like Greg said, you know, you do not need an army of, uh, uh, you know, people and contacts in Web3. You can be a developer anywhere in the world and you can deploy to a blockchain and you get access to the same uh, set of tools and APIs and uh, consumers as others. So, so this is like the best uh, ecosystem to build right now. And in a few years, I think, uh, you know, if you, if you start now, you'll be one of those uh, larger protocols also. I think uh, a lot of the protocols we see to today started in 2017, they're doing well. But I think that similar uh, phase is starting again. Now is a good time to start. Yep, awesome. We're good, uh, we good to go. Prash, yes. you're feeling nervous? Uh, about the game? Yes, about the game. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I'm like, you know, we win this. Uh, they, uh, it's like pressure is off. You know, we have to win this. So uh, I've kind of done down my expectations to less than uh, 5% now. So then you don't feel pressure anyways. Yeah, I did that three months ago. You should have done it too. You know, <laughs> happiness is the difference between expectations and reality. And the longer no, that I'm just, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just more of an eternal optimist. Uh, you know, so uh, I I stick to uh, that for a bit longer. <laughs> well, speaking of so Greg and Nishal, um, yeah. no, no, Greg and Nishal, we are talking about football. Um, <laughs> uh, Raghu and I support Arsenal, so uh, there is this big game against Man City tonight. So uh, that, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> not that I've known Prash for like five years or something like that. That's not why they're good friends. Because we are Arsenal fans, we have shared trauma. So we will always be friends with everyone. But speaking of being eternal optimists, uh, I, uh, it's, it's the Web3 Normage's pleasure to host uh, Greg Hammer and, uh, and Nishtil Shetty from Shadium. Uh, interesting bit of uh, trivia, uh, when we started Builderspare, the first call that we actually went out and had was with Nishtil. And Nishtil, I don't know if you remember this, but you were also our first check. Uh, and we've been- Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You were our first check. I thought I thought I was like the tenth or the fifteenth. That's why I invested. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, I'm just kidding. No, I I, I think uh, I've known uh, both you and Parin for a long time. So it was yeah. uh, you know it it was less about uh, uh, thinking, but more about just knowing the folks and uh, you know and knowing that you guys have been building things. I think I always uh, believe that uh, you know a lot of people think entrepreneurship is like a one hit wonder where you just you know do the first thing if it works it works otherwise you're out yeah. but i think uh, you know if you have this long-term uh, vision for yourself that you'll continue to build stuff even if uh, a couple of misses happen i think you eventually get ahead so i've seen yeah. uh, you know a, a lot of um, i think the success factor increases on second time third time founders uh, so true. whenever i see someone who's already built something irrespective of the outcome i think i always love to back them that's awesome thank you so yeah, I'm happy um, I was the first check. But I I really did not know. I, I don't think I even asked you guys. Um, so now I can tell everyone that <laughs> I was well. the first check. <laughs> Thank you. That, that is what I was waiting for this whole time. You know, I was like, hopefully. <laughs> I hope but, I'm uh, the only one you're telling this to. Otherwise, yeah, later yeah, I'll meet other yeah. people who will say that we are the <laughs> no, first no. check. I, I can send uh, I can send proof you were the first. Yeah, I go, this is on record now, okay? So it's out there. <laughs> no man, I have I have no fear. I'm telling the truth though. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's really fun having both of you here. Uh, Nishal, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people know you from Wazirex, but uh, the Web two people that have been in the ecosystem for a while will also know you from Just Unfollow. 
uh, that then became crowdfire uh, which uh, you know you, you everyone looked up to it as one of those success stories that people wanted to recreate for themselves so it's a uh, uh, it's fun having you there and greg i see you at every crypto conference man like how do you do it like every place i thought that i'm my team is available everywhere uh, and uh, sure enough uh, a tall friendly face will always be there around as well so it's it's lovely to have you on this call as well yeah thanks so much ragu and prashant um it's a really great opportunity to be traveling the world going to all these events um definitely uh you know an opportunity not a not a duty so really happy to be here so i have an interesting story uh, and prash uh, i will let you come to your fun deep tech related questions in a bit but i do want to talk about this to greg more than nischel uh, just before the call greg was talking about how he messaged nischel back in 2019 for a project that he was doing and i'd love to get into that story but it resonated with me because the first job that i got in bangalore uh, was with a company called yourstory.com and my resume was there was no job application or anything like that i actually wrote a heartfelt two page message on facebook to shraddha and uh, shraddha sharma was the founder uh, of of your story and when she looked at it she said no you know what this is so enthusiastic you should come over and do it so i want to relive that story with your experience with nishal and how it ended up becoming that you started to work with him uh, at shadow yeah absolutely uh, great question so um in 20 19, I was working with Nishal's current co-founder, Omar Syed. Uh, Omar is a distributed systems engineer. He spent most of his Web2 career focused on building large distributed systems with millions of daily active users for big companies in the US like NASA, Yahoo, and Raytheon. And uh, the architecture he had used to build systems at all of these companies was called sharding. So mm. Omar wanted to Omar had a vision to build applications in web3 that are decentralized at the scale of WhatsApp, Reddit, Twitter, um but there was no blockchain out there that was scalable enough to support those applications and so he started a project called Shardis which is software anyone can license to create their own app specific sharded blockchain and I was working on nights and weekends with Omar mainly I didn't even understand the technology back then I was just so fascinated by Omar and what he was building that I wanted to support him because I think a lot of the other people in web3 at the time in 2018 um you know we're just working on ERC20 tokens with a white paper you know some of the projects were pretty sketchy and they were really focused on raising millions of dollars with very little traction but you know Omar was this unicorn that was just extremely intelligent had a, an amazing reputation was building a really cool product and had no focus on raising money and uh Omar was born in uh, Hyderabad I think he moved to the US when he was about 8 years old so um you know just being indian a lot of our community you know was from india you know his friends and family still in india supporting him and so i you know i wanted to look up who else we could work with in india and i think um you know Nishal around that time in 2019 you know was leading Wazirx and you know one of the key leaders in India's web3 ecosystem so uh i don't know if nishal was kind enough to respond to my first email it might have taken me you know two or three or four emails to get his attention but eventually we were lucky enough to get a call with nishal and just tell him about what we were building um at the time you know nishal was all in on wazirx and you know didn't have a vision maybe for an l1 back then he was really focused on building his exchange 
But I remember on that call, he said, I think you guys are going to be successful. And little did we know uh, two years later in 2021, he would follow up with Omar about, uh, you know, an idea for a layer one, um, you know, that could onboard users in India and other emerging markets to decentralization, you know, where they could use these Web3 apps without having to pay extremely high transaction fees. So uh, that's the journey for how I got to where I am today. And, um, you know, Nishal is currently the reason I'm, I get to travel the world and go to all these amazing conferences. Uh, he's he really took this project to life and you know helped build a, an amazing community around it and you know has a such a good vision for how to go to market and you know get people to becoming really excited about something and you know become a community that's an awesome story greg thank you so much for that Nishal, mm. what was your side of the story <laughs> huh. um so i think uh you know when i when i uh read the email um i don't know the attempt number uh, but i just get too many emails so you know once a while i just happen to open my inbox and just read whatever is the top and i think uh, um, it was de probably destiny why that email ended up at the top and i read it and i was fascinated by you know uh, because back then also everyone was uh, trying to build scalable l1 but the the ideas all centered around uh, you know you have something non-scalable and now how do you try to scale it and uh, that involved a lot of compromises and no one had the i would say the even the, no one was even attempting to redo everything from scratch with scalability as like the number one focus and uh, here comes a, a email where you know i uh, the the initial email i i, I realized they, they were trying to do uh, scaling but from the ground up and that got me fascinated. And I think one of the reasons why uh, nobody is attempting uh, to, you know, build a scalable blockchain from the ground up is that uh, the time that it takes. Everyone is in that whole fast food movement where, you know, you just fork it and go live, make money or, you know, uh, do whatever you want. But you don't have to spend too much time building something. Uh, but here was a project which I think they had started in uh, late 2017. And uh, in 2019 is when uh, we got in touch and they were still building and they, they had this thing that they will solve this problem once and for all. So, so that motivated me. I got in touch with uh, Greg and then uh, I had a call with Omar and I was fascinated by, you know, even, uh, in, even the technological, uh, uh, you know, uh, direction that they were taking, which is uh, sharding. So I personally have worked in sharding uh, right from my first startup, Just Unfollow. Uh, but I did not implement it. I used uh, Google Bigtable, which is a sharded database. So I knew how sharded databases can scale and, you know, how they can um, really help you with sc uh, scaling your applications. So that got me excited. I heard the, uh, you know, the whole uh, um, uh, architecture overview and, uh, you know, that seemed amazing. But then I also had this thing that, is this possible? Is this something that can be implemented? Uh, and in 2019, they were halfway through. So they hadn't done the entire thing, but they were halfway through. So I said, let's stay in touch and let's see, you know, where these guys end up. And in 2021, I saw a demonstration by Omar and uh, the team where they were, um, they had completed all of the things we had discussed in 2019. And they were demonstrating uh, scaling, uh, you know, where I think uh, they started with 100 nodes and then they increased the number of uh, transactions on the network and it automatically scaled to five, 500 or 5,000 nodes. I don't remember. Uh, but that was beautiful. Uh, I mean, if you think about it, uh, that has never happened before. 
you've never had a blockchain where you you know more nodes come in and the tps increases uh, so that was a breakthrough moment and i thought uh, you know this needs to be taken to the mainstream the world needs to experience this that's what got me into uh, getting in touch with omar in 21 and in 22 22 we announced uh, shardium uh, it was all really quick i i i i uh, got in touch with omar uh, you know asked him can we catch up in person and i think we spent 3 days in uh, dubai Uh, in late 2021 and in that in those 3 days we had hashed out uh, you know what the smart contract platform would do what would be the key aspects what would be the uh, name also i think it came up in that meeting only um, so so a lot of things happened in those 3 days and then uh, we went back and uh, in a couple of months we announced the project so that's how shadium you know uh, was created it was a great story destin uh prash uh, over to you i feel like you had some elbow no, specific I mean, questions um, that i am no, before i go there right i think uh, what, what's quite fascinating here also is um, the outside world probably thought shadiam just came together in the middle or late 2022 right and here is yet another l1 that's just coming out but what this story tells us is that the work for this has been going on since 2017 you know and in 2019 is when nissel first heard about it and 2022 is when the world heard about it so uh, that 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 most people um, you know um, in startups and also in like even in web3 right um, that that does happen a lot you spend a lot of time before it comes to the market so it's not like a um, overnight success there has been a lot of work that has gone into coming into uh, into making it into what it is today um but yeah i mean um just going back to like uh, shadium itself right um the first question that um uh, i would have and i'm sure you hear this a lot right is um why do we need yet another uh, layer one um and um, in in general you know from from your perspective why are layer ones valued so highly um, or so much in term in dollar value sure um i think the first part why do we need an l1 is um you know till the the problem the biggest problem today if you if you use any l1 is uh, you know the fees are high um, any decentralized l1 or if the fee is low then it's not decentralized enough uh, what i mean is you know you cannot run your own nodes you have to delegate now delegation is as good as saying okay as a company i don't need one company i'll have 10 companies of mine which can run the nodes so i i don't see delegation as a uh, you know a solution to reducing the fees and even with that the the only thing is you're just moving the needle a bit more uh, for example if a truly decentralized network today take you know bitcoin for example uh, might have 10 tps or 20 tps if you bring in delegation model uh, you might get to 200 300 tps 400 tps 500 but you're still having having a ceiling there uh, so so what we are doing is we're just pushing the problem ahead for a later date we do not have a solution where you know it's infinitely scalable where it will keep expanding as the markets expand i mean imagine if the internet had a upper limit on tps we would never have had any of the things that we have today we would not be even having this conversation because tps problems you know the internet can't scale we would just be in that whole uh, uh, web one era uh, so scalability is i think the biggest uh, factor that will expand an ecosystem and that simply does not exist in elvans uh now the question is then uh, you know will a truly scalable l1 just be the only answer I, th- i don't think so because one is scalability the other is customization and i think there will be several l1s required for different use cases now you and and l2 is also required for different use cases but i think the world definitely needs a horizontal scalable l1 uh, which is where shadium is trying to uh, you know uh, really uh, emerge 
but there will be vertical l1s there will be l2s with you know customization layers and it'll be a multi uh, chain ecosystem and this is not even a pred- prediction i think you can see the markets today it's definitely already a multi l1 uh, and l2 ecosystem and it will remain but i think uh, for a lot of people they have a few desires um, i think the one is to participate in the network and i think that is the biggest barrier today uh, you and i cannot run a node simply and participate in you know being a validator uh, it, it will either require a lo- lot of hardware or it will require a lot of capital or it will require you delegating some of your small capital to a third person third party so i think that needs to be solved which shardium is solving anyone can run a node on shardium which is amazing the hardware requirements are low and uh, while we haven't announced the minimum staking amount the idea is to keep it in the 1000 to 2000 dollar range probably 1000 dollars now there are some you know uh, it's not technical there are some uh, economical aspects to keeping a very low uh, staking amount which is that you know if you keep it too low uh, when someone uh, some node be- behaves bad is that threshold enough to punish them uh, that's usually the sweet spot that you have to figure out uh, but but otherwise i think uh, you know keeping this ent- entry barrier low for node operators is going to help everyone become a uh, validator and that will be true decentralization where you have a stake in the network you know ultimately a stake in the network is not about just owning tokens i think it's about operating it um, that's when you know no team can actually uh, say that you know we can stop this network or someone says that you know uh, we want to change the direction and they decided and they go ahead it should be a really community driven approach so that is missing and which is why i think um, you know uh, we 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 decided we need to build l1 then there are these geographical aspects for example all of the l1s for a country like india is something which has been built and then just thrust upon us uh, no one has really involved you know um, these new emerging markets in building an l1 and i think uh, that is where we are trying to you know do that with shardium which is why we seeing such a great community build up in india now nigeria vietnam uh, parts of uh, europe uh, even in the us we are seeing uh, you know uh, a lot of people coming to shardium to understand how l1 is being built because i think that part is lost uh, i think that existed maybe in 20 during the bitcoin early days then the early days of ethereum and then all these folks that started coming i think there was no need for them to build something new it was more about you know just tweaking some things and going live so people never experience what it is to build a l1 from the ground up so that's the other reason um now the second part of the question which is about you know why is it valued really high um i think um, there are multiple reasons um, one is from a potential point of view that an l1 forms the base for uh, anything decentralization so if an l1 tr- truly works it's uh, it's going to have immense value um, you know accumulated because of all those different uh, products that can be built on top of it so it's like the internet how do you value the internet it it has to be you know if the internet could be valued it would be the i would say the most valuable um, piece of infrastructure today uh, and the second part is an l1 requires uh, I, i would say enough value to protect itself now if you have an l1 for example which is valued at 10 million dollars what that means is you need 5 million you know or so to just attack that network uh, which means no one is going to build on that l1 so you cannot even from an economics point of view you can't launch an l1 which is low valued because you are you are open to a 51% attack so so you know i think uh, that's probably the the second reason why most of the l1s push for a higher valuation even at the time of the launch uh, whereas protocols and all you could always start with really low valuations and you know 
then grow the market and then it uh, gets a better valuation but for an l1 if you have a very low valuation on day one when you launch the mainnet you'll have a l1 compromised uh, right there and all of the lock tokens and all could just be changed you know at will so i think uh, that those are the two reasons i can think of right now thanks for that nishal uh, greg you yeah. were speaking about how uh, you know you were part of omar's team uh, at the at the early days uh, i'm sure you would have seen other blockchains trying to implement sharding uh, for uh, scalability reasons uh, and uh, you know i remember back in 2017 and 18 uh sharding used to be quite a buzzword of sorts in when it uh, specifically came to blockchains and uh, and, uh, and and you know the scaling conversations none of those blockchains really took off uh and to now come back and hear stardium being sharding focused again what do you think went wrong with the earlier chains uh, that were uh, that were that were trying to implement sharding and how does stardium do it differently good question Yeah so uh, there's definitely been a few attempts at sharding in web3 um and I think similar to what Nishal mentioned earlier um you know we're all here working in web3 we all know the opportunities available to us in this industry there's you know so much upside and opportunity which is really exciting and I think that leads to uh you know a lot of new products especially in the early days focused on going to market so they can raise funding and acquire users and you know with that a lot of the sharded blockchains haven't started with sharding as their core concept um you know maybe sharding was a plan in their white paper that they had planned to build in the future but it takes a very long time you know to build a sharded architecture um at shardium we've been building this product since 2017 as we've discussed on this call and so um when we look at some of the other sharded blockchains out there what we've noticed is they've gone to market with an mvp that's very similar to the existing smart contract platforms today it, they don't start with sharding built into the network they go to market they focus on raising funding getting users and then you know when scalability becomes a problem then you know that's when they start to build sharding but it's really challenging to you know build a sharded blockchain when you already have an uncharted network with you know so many users and data on the network and you know so tr to try to divide an existing blockchain into different shards and divide the data is very complex it, it is possible but it results in making sacrifices on the capabilities of the sharding um because you know you're limited to what you can do when you're trying to perform you know surgery on a blockchain that's already live and operating so uh, there's been a few challenges uh, that we've seen with the existing sharded blockchains um it requ it requires human development to monitor the network and determine when it's the right time to add more shards and increase the tps so it's not very decentralized if you have to rely on a you know a development team to add more shards to a network um another big challenge is the existing sharded blockchains um break composability um not sure for the listeners if they're very familiar with the term composability but uh, to put composability in very simple terms you can think of applications like legos and legos on their own are you know exciting tools but legos can be even more exciting when you combine them together and build higher order applications or experiences 
Um, that's what composability is in Web3. You can combine the outputs of applications together to create some higher order experience. On the sharded blockchains today, uh, they break this composability experience in cross-shard transactions. So it's really complex for developers to build on the existing sharded chains because they need to be aware that the network is sharded and think about which shard they want to build their application on because the only other applications they'll have with composability with are the apps on the shard they choose to build on. Um, and so those are the two, I think, um, you know, major issues is um, just determining how to add more shards and, um, you know, breaking composability. So at Shardium, there's a lot of innovation being built here. You know, one really exciting, uh, you know, value proposition of Shardium is it's the first blockchain where each time you add a new validator to the network, you get an increase in TPS capacity. On the other sharded blockchains today, you have to have a shard size amount of nodes available to add another shard to the network to increase the parallel processing and get more TPS. So that shard size might be like 300 nodes. You need to make sure there's 300 nodes available to get faster. Um, so at first, this is a pretty simple process. You might have a highway that's only three lanes. And when you add one more lane to a three lane highway, you're gonna get a big increase in speed, you know, because it's only three lanes. Now you're building one more lane to allow more cars to go through. But if you have a, a hundred lane highway and you add one more lane to it, it's not going to make as big of an impact on parallel processing as adding one lane to a three lane highway will. It's the same challenge with the existing sharded blockchains out there. When you add one shard of 300 nodes to a three shard network, it'll make a big impact. But eventually they might get to like 50 shards or 100 shards and adding one more shard won't be enough. And so it becomes a really complex problem to manage the number of nodes needed to add more shards to the network. With Shardium, we don't need a shard size amount of nodes. It's the first blockchain where each time you add a new validator node to the network, you get an increase in parallel processing, which ultimately results in higher TPS capacity. Um, and so the question comes up, how do you determine when it's the right time to add another node to the network and increase the speed? Um, with Shardium, we've built a feature from Omar's Web2 career called auto-scaling, where you know, this isn't the way it works in Web2 today. Developers don't need to you know, monitor these applications every second of the day. And, determine when it's the right time to spin up more nodes in AWS. It happens automatically on the back end, so you know developers can sleep. Um, so at Shardium, uh, this feature auto-scaling works where the validators every 60 seconds measure the traffic on Shardium. And based on the network activity, the validators determine the number of active validators needed to process the current transactions to prevent congestion. And it's then- like elastic scaling you know, that you just mentioned that AWS has. Mm. Exactly. So every 60 seconds, the number of active validators will grow or shrink based on the user activity of the network. Uh, those are a few of the innovations and differentiators at Shardium. And um, the, the thing is, uh, we also, uh, it's like building on Shardium is easy as building on the other uncharted chains out there. You don't need to think about the fact that it's sharded and think about which shard you deploy your application to. The whole network has composability, just like the existing uncharted layer ones. Got it, got it. 
Um, yeah, I mean, I actually have a lot of questions on that. I mean, it's just super fascinating, but you know, just for your audience, I'll just control myself here. Please, Nishal, go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so I, you know, I, I think uh, what Greg said is, um, you know, from a technical point of view and stuff. I think uh, one of the things I would uh, want to probably discuss is um, more from a product uh, approach as well. When it, you know, when you ask about. Uh, uh, so many attempts before and so many attempts happening right now for sharding. Uh, how is uh, Shardium, uh, you know, approach to sharding so different? Is um, And I see this mistake being made in Web3. Now think about, uh, you know, if you guys remember the launch of uh, Google Chrome, which was a brand new browser. Um, and, you know, it was uh, so much easier to use, so much faster. Um, people loved it. But imagine if uh, Google said, okay, we've got some really amazing new technology, but the only thing to do is you need to rewrite all of the websites all over again. You need to learn a few things all over again on how to use a browser. Um, and, you know, many of the uh, products will start breaking, but, you know, that's a new language. Developers can learn that language. They can rebuild websites. You know, the problem with that is you're introducing a new learning curve to your end users as well as to your developer ecosystem. And that has been the biggest uh, mistake of most of the Shardage, uh, you know, attempts until now. And even the ones that are happening in parallel with Shardium, which is it will break the current um, ecosystem, the current uh, user experience. And it'll take us backwards or forward, doesn't matter, but it will require relearning for the developers where, you know, they have to learn a new language or a new virtual machine uh, for the consumer where they have to learn new ways to do things. In Shardium, what we're doing is, we're, we're focusing on what what is the uh, smart contract platform that really you know people like understand and use today ethereum is the largest and uh, you know you know a certain way of doing that so what we've done is we've made sure that you do not have to relearn anything when you use shardium it's as as straightforward and simple as using the ethereum of today not the ethereum of tomorrow where they're trying to build sharding and you know make it more complicated but the simple interface of today um, and, you know, in fact, we are making it simpler. For example, we have fast final immediate finality, which is uh, you don't have to wait for, uh, you know, block confirmation or something for your transactions to be confirmed. You do not have to set the gas price. That's a flat fee, which is something very natural from the Web2 era. You know, you don't decide the fee. The network already knows what the fee should be. You just pay that fee. So we've just made it simpler. We've not made it more complicated. We've not introduced new programming languages or new UX, uh, you know, learning or anything. And I think that's going to be one of the other key factors why, uh, you know, Shardium's attempt is going to be different from the existing uh, Sharding attempts. Um, yeah. Dishal, actually, that brings me to one of the questions that I did want to ask you at a later time. But uh, you, the, the, every once in a while, there is a new language that essentially comes into being what a blockchain developer has to learn. So it was Solidity, and then with the summer of Solana, as it happened, it was Rust. Uh, and then there were a lot more Rust-based change that came up just because of how robust that language was. But even that I could understand, which was that Rust existed pre-blockchain, and there is a, 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 a precedent to learning it and enough documentation out there. But then there are languages like Move that have come out now, which is uh, at the center of things like Stui and Aptos. Uh, what is your view on them as to why they do this? When clearly, as you rightly pointed out, it adds a new, uh, new learning curve to it. Uh, but uh, it all uh, like I, I see the sense in what you're saying. It's almost like fighting a battle on two fronts. One is choose my platform, but you also have to learn this new language, which is nothing like what you've ever seen before. Uh, 
uh, and uh, to be able to get all these opportunities here, you have to go through this hurdle. So why do you think that uh, chains like uh, other, uh, like the ones that I just mentioned right now are going the new language route uh, as opposed to your choice, which was stick to what's what exists right now? I think it's a combination of a variety of factors. Uh, one is just, you know, uh, when you want to innovate, why not innovate on everything? Uh, which is, which I believe is not a, a you know, a, a right way to do things. Um, find the biggest problem, innovate there, maybe adopt everything else, or, uh, you know, the way it is. Uh, so one is just hyper innovation. You want to innovate everywhere, but that, you know, just really create problems for the ecosystem in general. The second is probably, I, now I do not have deep technical understanding of the other chains. Maybe, you know, the way they're structured, uh, the existing EVM, uh, may not be suitable, it may not work, and probably they had to, they were forced to build a new virtual machine, and maybe, you know, uh, since they were building a new virtual machine, probably they thought, why not build a new language? Like, uh, Solidity, for example, does have its own drawbacks. So just mm. JavaScript, and uh, there have been attempts trying to see if, you know, a better language could be built. Everything fails because, you know, getting adoption is the hardest, and developers, they eventually reach something called as developer fatigue, which is uh, one software developer ends up just learning one or two languages max. Uh, there will be some who will know five, ten, and all, but in, an average, uh, you know, developer's life lifetime, uh, you know, two or three languages they they are simultaneously working on. Which is why, if you see uh, desktop era, you know, you had Windows and then you had uh, Linux. Uh, nothing apart from that. The mobile era, you had uh, Android and iOS. Even Windows mobile phones could not make it. Uh, because of the developer fatigue. And I think the same thing will happen to um, blockchains. Maybe uh, there might be a second one, but I know the first one, which is Solidity and EVM will exist. It is the largest right now and it will continue to grow. Uh, and there can be improvements made to the EVM eventually. And maybe there might be one more. We did not want to go that route of trying to be that second one as well. I think it's, it's a lot of uh, hard work just solving for scalability in a blockchain. Uh, if we were to take up the whole uh, onus of, uh, you know, getting developers to learn a new language, uh, even if it's an existing one, you know, just creating new smart contracts using that existing language itself, building all the developer tools that are required, uh, all the resources that are required for you to learn. Um, I think it's a it's a really large, uh, you know, uh, uh, responsibility on a L1 to do. And that scares me. And I think uh, me and Omar, we were both uh, certain that we want to focus on the on the innovation that we're building at the protocol layer, not have to innovate on the application layer, which is why mm. on the application layer, we decided to build using the EVM uh, so that you don't have okay. to learn anything. That's actually really smart now that you say. Yeah. But hopefully and, there's um, one chain that eventually gets a lot of uh, traction. And then the Objective-C to Swift move and uh, Java to Kotlin yeah, move can, can potentially happen. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm -hmm. uh, for the viewers who didn't get that reference, because we just found out that 18 to 20, 18 to 24 don't don't know what Objective C and Java was. <laughs> they have we come into a world where it's Kotlin and Swift already. Uh, Swift, these were yeah, the yeah. original programming languages that Android and iOS used to use uh, to build apps on it. So. There's a similar thing that seems to be happening in crypto and Web3. Let's see how it goes. Sorry, Prashant, uh, over to you. No, I mean, um, I, I quite find this fascinating, right? And I think still this kind of goes a bit to your background as well, where um, um, it's it's a rare breed, at least uh, in Web3, of someone who has uh, who is a repeat founder. And you are a repeat founder in Web2 and also having built a successful exchange, right? So you have like 
tons of learnings as a founder coming into some building something like a stadium um would just love to kind of understand your perspective on uh, you know um the challenges of transitioning from like a platform like wazirex into stadium and also you know there you were building a retail community which i think is where your uh, focus on application and ux is coming from uh, but here you also have to build a developer community right so uh, how is the, how is the mindset different in in that yeah i think uh, it's it's not really that different um, it's just that you know there are a few uh, new aspects you have to look into i think uh, when you look at developers and when you look at the retail users they're very similar um, you know they they rely more on word of mouth they rely on being comfortable with what they know uh, and just going in that direction um, and they they also uh, you know uh, prefer uh, uh, you know working on things where they have trust on it um, and uh, you know where people around them are also talking about it so branding of something that they're going to use is very important uh, if you see any, any i mean I, i've been a developer i i i coded for like at least the first 10 years of my career um, you many times you know it's your uh, fellow developers talking about it or you know you keep reading about stuff and then you like it and then you get into it so so it's very similar to consumers consumers also while you can go for paid marketing and all those stuff uh, a true consumer app only grows if it is it has an amazing organic channel and organic channels are word of mouth so so the, i don't see a lot of dissimilarities there uh but if you go deeper uh, you know developers require uh, better documentation better tooling all those mm. things uh which is what uh, which is why our decision to go with the evm was to cut out many of those uh, you know efforts and just focus on the ux and the branding and uh, building the community around it and that is what we are doing mm. and i think uh, it's working well greg is in fact uh, leading the ecosystem development he's been uh, you know uh, really bringing all of the uh, dapps and the protocols to build on shadium the good thing is you do not have to rebuild i think as a developer the first thing you are afraid of is to recode the entire thing that you have mm. in another language and then maintain it for a long long time so i i think we've cut that out you do not have to maintain if you're a, a solidity dev if you have a, a smart contract on on an evm chain you can just deploy it here so uh, developers love the write once run everywhere concept and it has existed for a long time uh, so yeah i think uh, that's really worked out well um but yeah i think uh, i don't see a lot of uh, differentiation developers want users users want developers uh, so it's a perfect uh, you know complementing uh, ecosystem development that you have to do you know, the cool thing there is that you know what goes into actually building a user base it's not mm. a lot of elven founders know which uh, keeps me interested in shadium uh, from a uh, you know from a, from a spectator standpoint uh great uh, on nishal's point as being on ground growing the ecosystem out there what you're up against is multi billion dollar treasuries that uh you know these uh, web3 companies and l1 specifically have that are you know showing making the money talk uh, on the ground right uh, and i've seen this at every conference that you go there what is it like going up against them and what are your trump cards to still get developer interest onto uh, onto shadium Yeah, I think um you know one of the advantages we have is just the fact that we're tapping into the EVM ecosystem which is a a network effect that already exists. Um you know, we don't have to invest a lot of money in it, educating developers on solidity because that's already been done. We don't have to invest a lot of money into, you know, getting hundreds of new applications built. That's not like a necessity because it's already been done. Um we just need to 
get in contact with these applications and you know show them the opportunities available on Shardium. And as Nishal mentioned, you know, um, build once, deploy multiple times. Um, so it's easy for all the existing applications to come to Shardium and build on Shardium. And I think uh, you know there's going to be competition in any you know market in the world. Competition is a good thing. And you know things get really expensive if your positioning is in a you know very saturated area of the market where there's a lot of other companies with the same position trying to you know do the same things and communicate the same message as you. But in my opinion, Shardium's positioning is quite unique. Um, you know we're very focused on emerging markets, whereas uh, a lot of L1s or L2s today don't necessarily have a specific geographic focus. You know, right now, Shardium is going all in on India and Nigeria, you know, educating new users on Web3 and trying to grow the market by doing so, ensuring that Shardium is the first blockchain they learn about and interact with. Um, and we're also, from a product perspective, really unique in the fact that uh, most blockchains today, you know, are focused on vertical scaling where we scale horizontally and get faster as you add more nodes. So there's some proprietary innovations that we can include in our messaging that you know get people excited and make them interested. Um, and we're also building our community and markets that are really tough to reach and access. Um, as Nishal mentioned, you know, developers want users and users can come from all over the world. And it seems that um, a lot of their emerging markets are where most users are coming from in Web3 because they have real life challenges that Web3 solves right now, like, you know, mass inflation of your fiat currency. Um, in places like Nigeria, you know, there's a high number of daily active users because they can escape inflation on chain. But if you're not from Nigeria, it's really tough to access those users. You know, it's mm. a new language, uh, you know, complex country with different cultural norms. And so by building on Shardium, you know, they have access to users in India and Nigeria, parts of the earth where other companies aren't super focused on building. That's exciting to hear. And, uh, it's always... Uh, we, will, we will also uh, raise similar amounts of funding as well to the other <laughs> there it is i was wondering when that was when that was going to come but uh you know maybe we should have followed this up with why are elvins valued so much and greg how do you plan on going and growing out the ecosystem uh but i i think that at some level this is this is what product-led growth looks like for an l1 i guess where there's something that's super easy to go out there into the market with and the developer cost uh, for switching is not as much as it would be uh, with, with another chain. That that makes the that makes a lot of sense. I'm sure. So Nishal, Nishal, I just wanted to mention. I'm sure Nishal is probably itching to talk also about like you know community growth and you know the unique approach we're taking towards growing our community that you know also in return helps grow the ecosystem. You know, yeah, no, just, I, just on uh, that, on that nature also, if you could also elaborate a bit on like, uh, you know, um, I guess I think you guys are in your testnet and any message you want to give out to the community out there around mainnet and also what's out there, you know, uh, please feel free to go for it as well. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, so, so the thing is, um, you know, like uh, Greg uh, mentioned at the end, uh, you know, it's not like we are not going to raise money. We're going to raise money. We raise a good seed round. Um, but you know uh, the approach that we 
and I think uh, I've also taken in my previous startups is before you spend money, you need to be able to grow organically and reach a zero to one position mm. and have your playbook in order. Uh, because I see money as not the fire starter. It's to expand that fire, like, you know, make it larger, make your, uh, you know, you know uh, your area of impact larger, but it cannot be the reason why you, uh, you know, start creating impact. Uh, and that's a mistake that you uh, that a lot of people do, which is uh, they think that you you bring in money and you throw it at a problem and it'll solve it. Um, but we we are taking a different approach. We're first trying to understand okay, what are our challenges? How do we solve them organically? Now, once we've solved them organically, for example, you know we created an event uh, which is called Proof of Community, and we are trying to grow it organically. And we are we are seeing about I think uh, two thousand three thousand users a month uh, through that event. And with the lowest of costs, now we know, okay, uh, maybe $1,000 gets us 3,000 users and those $1,000 we can afford to invest. Now, if we go and raise $10 million, we know we can get in, you know, 3 million, 30 million users, all organic, uh, all, all uh, uh, offline, uh, IRL users uh, around the world. So, so that's the way we are doing it. So we build this playbook for India. Now we are building it for Nigeria. We build it for a few countries. Then we can go and raise money to expand it further. But, you know, a lot of people, what they do is first they go and raise like 50 million, 100 million dollars, and then they figure out what to do with that money. And that's the biggest, mm. uh, you know, problem to have, uh, which is, you know, you have money and then you figure out how to spend that money. What we are doing is we've raised a small round, uh, which is big in terms of, uh, you know, any other seed raise, which is 18, 19 million dollars. But it's small from an L1 point of view when you compare to other competitors. But once we've put out our model saying these are the things and these are the costs, then we'll go and raise a larger round. So that's our approach. Which is why we're going uh, in a different direction. Um, now, now to uh, what was the second part of your question? I I forgot. It it was about what. No, next. I, I just. Yeah. What's Pardon? coming next for uh, Shadi? Oh. Yeah. So the thing is, uh, we've been growing the community, and uh, the idea is to continue to that growth. We started with India. And, uh, you know, now we are expanding to other nations. Nigeria happens to be that. Vietnam, we are trying. We're experimenting with, uh, we've just hired uh, um, Kelsey, who's our chief growth officer. Uh, she's going to be focused on the U.S. market. So mm. the idea is to build Shardium into a global brand. Uh, today, if you ask anyone in India, if they're in Web3, they know Shardium. Uh, and uh, we've been able to achieve that in a really short period of time, all organic. We want to do something similar to multiple geographies and make this a globally known brand. Uh, by the time we, you know, uh, get to mainnet. So maybe in the next uh, uh, few months, we want to get into a few more countries and, uh, you know, be there as a multi-nation uh, brand right now. Uh, in terms of uh, uh, the the product development, our Betanet is out. Now, uh, when we launched the Betanet, we had tested it on, on maybe, I think, 200, 300 uh, nodes because that's all you could run as a, uh, you know, uh, entity. But we were surprised to see 20,000, 30,000 nodes uh, on the beta net. And these are all, uh, you know, no incentive. People are just running it because they want to participate in this. So so that's uncovered uh, quite a few new challenges, which the team is solving. So once, uh, and I think they're on the verge of uh, making the beta net stable. Right now, I think mm -hmm. uh, there are some issues that people are facing. It's just a function of never being tested on 20,000, 30,000 nodes. This was supposed to be done closer to the main net. It just happened right now, uh, which is good. You know, that's, that's a good problem. Happens, the more you understand. Yeah, yeah. So it's not a bad thing. So our team is solving that. 
but the idea is to be feature complete uh, this quarter. So most of our, uh, uh, you know, I would say the hard problems are solved, but there are some uh, expected features. For example, we don't have slashing and slashing is something which is needed, especially in a decentralized uh, uh, chain. Uh, so, mm. so slashing has to be brought. And then, you know, a few protocols that we built, uh, they are not scaling. So they, they're re rebuilding them so that at least th when it goes to 100,000 nodes, it will not break. So those are the things that is still pending, which is this quarter's plan. And then mm. we get into security and scalability testing. Uh, and then the mainnet. So that's our uh, product uh, plan. Uh, so, yeah, we're just uh, continuing to build on that right now. Exciting. Uh, so we are to the last question of the uh, of the pod, uh, and uh, you want to divide it into two areas. So, Greg, for the people that you look at uh, who are potential builders on Shadium, what is your advice to them? And Nishchal, having seen multiple crops of Indian founders, uh, what is it that you have seen uh, today being different from what it was 10 years ago? And what is your advice to them going forward? So Greg, we'll go first for future builders of Shadium. Your word of advice to them. Yeah, I think the biggest opportunity right now in Web3 is to find use cases that generate demand for decentralization. Um, you know, everyone still wants to know what's the use case that's going to make Web3 go mainstream. Um, and so, you know, my feedback to founders is, uh, you know, take a similar approach to Web2 companies. Don't just build what you think is cool because you know, there's so many products out there in Web3. People are just building what they think is cool. Focus on finding a common problem that exists in the world and make sure that problem is best solved using decentralization. Go out and mm. survey, you know, 100 or 200 people and, you know, find a, a popular common problem among them that you can solve with a decentralized solution and mm. invite those people to come and use your product. You know, take a similar approach to Nishal. Start don't don't go money first you know go product and user focused first generate traction and then raise money to scale and i think the, the biggest takeaway is just you know focus on validating business ideas and problems that can be best solved with decentralization and build a product that's decentralized to solve it that feels like we've come a full circle no like uh, old school web web 2 mindset is in fashion <laughs> in web 3 right now yeah, it has to be, uh, you know, yeah, yeah boomers yeah. are necessarily, uh, you know, uh, maligned in Web3 for some reason, but I think it's tried and tested. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the core concepts of entrepreneurship do not change, right? Uh, it's the same thing. Um, even mm. in Web2, you found a problem, um, then you built a solution. Sometimes uh, solutions were built, problems were never found, which is why those startups, you know, don't work. And I think it's the same with uh, Web3. Though I think uh, 2017, 2018, we saw a lot of these uh, solution first and problem second kind of approaches. Uh, mm -hmm. What I've seen in the last couple of years, uh, which, you know, uh, Raghu, to your question about uh, Indian founders and all, is they've really gotten good at identifying problems. So uh, now, when I, before, uh, in 2018, I remember, I used to get, uh, you know, reach outs from people about just ideas. It's just ideas. And when I asked them, who are you building it for? They do not know. These time and now in the recent months, I've been seeing where, you know, people come with saying, hey, I think this is an issue or, you know, this is a problem and uh, there needs to be a solution. And some say that these three solutions exist, but, you know, they lack some of these uh, things and we are building that 
or there is no solution to this so we are building so i think uh, founders have gone from a solution first to you know identifying the problem and then building the solution approach uh, mm. which is really good and and it's a, it's it's something i used to see in um, you know at the beginning of the conversation we spoke about uh, serial entrepreneurs or second time entrepreneurs now i'm seeing that in even in youngsters maybe it's just the you know the that so much of information and knowledge available maybe they're getting smarter uh, faster than i think most of us who got into entrepreneurship uh, 10 15 years ago mm. but that's a welcome change and i think that's the approach to take uh, which is you know identify a problem and then go after the solution uh, and uh, try to build an organic community uh, it's very very important for for success if you're not able to build an organic community quickly it means maybe that's not a problem to be solved right now money wouldn't uh, create problems you know money is for uh, solving the problems not for right. creating them so yeah i think uh, uh, I, i'm i'm really excited to see so many entrepreneurs coming up uh, from india i think one of the mistake that i still see is people afraid of uh, building a competing product they're like you know that's already uh, a uniswap out there should i build a dex i think you should it's very early days it doesn't matter uh you know there's already a lending protocol should i build a lending protocol build it so there are two types of things that you can do as an entrepreneur one is innovate no one has built it there's a higher risk you do not know whether it will work or not it's fine you you can try that the other is you know look at solutions find issues uh, you know build and compete uh where you know you do not have to worry about product market fit you do not have to worry whether a market exists or not a lot of your problems are solved actually you're just building a better solution so both mm. are right approaches there's nothing like you know you do not have to go in this or that direction you choose what really motivates you uh, but i think you, you should not be afraid of taking on competitors whether they're uh, local or global or whatever i think you should just go for it if you believe that a problem needs to be solved i think that's really good pieces of advice i feel like a lot of that is also because we've grown up in such a mindset of scarcity that uh, when we see a crowded place our initial instinct is oh my god how am i going to make it even if you have yeah. a good idea about it but uh, i really think that those are really important points and i just mm. also wanted to mention um on the, on the topic of uh you know suggestions uh for indian founders um pranav uh, maheshwari is one of the most inspiring people from india i've met you know working in this space and one thing he pranav said is that um uh, you know india missed the opportunity in web 2 you know uh most of the largest unicorns in web 2 i think are western companies but web 3 is india's opportunity to shine um you know india is the largest developer market in this industry and you know with decentralization it doesn't really matter what resources you have available or opportunities you have available anyone can deploy a network on a blockchain and you know have access to these global users and you know the global liquidity so i think you know for indian founders this is a you know great opportunity you know you could build an ai product you could build a healthcare product you can build whatever you want but i think you know web3 is a a very fast growing space and it's india's opportunity to shine and build more web3 unicorns than any other country in the world uh you know so don't be afraid to take a leap and you know get started building thanks thank you so much for the words of encouragement greg this was fun having the shadium team uh, on and kind of giving us a little more clarity about you know why another l1 why shadium why shadium uh, and what's coming next so 
uh, it was a pleasure having you both uh, on the uh, on the nomies podcast prashant what did what did you think no it was great um, and uh, thanks guys for uh, taking the time this was brilliant uh, and if there are any last words you. that you want to say for our uh, five listeners who are tuning in right now uh, you know feel free to go ahead and uh, give them a few words no i think i i, I spoke a lot um, but you know uh, ultimately i think it's it's really exciting to be in this ecosystem it's it's very new uh, uh, i don't think uh, we realize how early we are um and it's it's going to grow to over a billion people which means you're in the top uh, 20% even if you just entered it yesterday um yeah. so so you know kudos to all of you whoever is listening um you're into uh, a sector which is still being formed so you have the opportunity to really shape it uh instead of you know having to get into web 2 and complain why it is the way it is and why uh, you know you do not get any access to anything because uh, all of the top companies have eaten up every idea that you can imagine i think in web 3 uh, those those web 2 companies have no idea what they're doing uh, so mm-hmm. for you this is an opportunity to really shine uh, and like greg said you know you do not need an army of uh, uh, you know people and contacts in web 3 you can be a developer anywhere in the world and you can deploy to a blockchain and you get access to the same uh, set of tools and apis and uh, consumers as others so so this is like the best uh, ecosystem to build right now and in a few years i think um, you know if you if you start now you'll be one of those uh, larger protocols also i think uh, a lot of the protocols we see to, today started in 2017 they're doing well but i think that similar uh, phase is starting again uh, now is a good time to start and uh, you know just follow through for the next 2 uh, to 3 years i'm sure you'll be one of the larger uh, you know products on web3 then thank you so much for that and until next time these are the normies signing out Thank you.